As the lights come up this morning, I want to tell you a little bit about um, where we've been and what's going on with our student ministry. Uh, last week, uh, a group of our teenagers went to Arlington, Texas, uh, and they went uh, to spend the week serving on mission. And so every morning, uh, they got up, they got everything together and spent all morning doing apartment ministry, ministering to children throughout that week. In the afternoon, they spent serving at Mission Arlington, uh, providing or pulling together clothing and meals, delivering things to, to the area. Um, people just in need. It's been amazing to hear their stories. And, and one thing that's important is because how God has formed us and brought us together is that as we're praying for God to move, is getting to know how he moved. It's, it's knowing that he moved. And so this morning, I've asked two of our students that went on that trip, Paige Parker and Connor Adams, to come and join us this morning and share a little bit about the trip. So would you welcome them this morning? So really, the prayer was, um, you could see it working through every single step uh, during that week, um, even through like trials at the beginning of the week when we had to throw luggage and, or luggage, laundry and like clothes and stuff into the back of a truck. Um, but I saw him show up the most because at the beginning of the week, I had felt God calling on my heart and I don't know why, but to share a Bible with some kids somewhere, some, sometime. And um, it was nearing the end of the week, and I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you that you have this. And the last day, there was a kid, and uh, his name was David, um, and he went over to one of my friends and saw his Bible and said, hey, can I take this home with me? And, I, and he said, oh, no, this is my Bible. And that, like, that instant, it, like, snapped. And I was like, oh, this is the person you wanted me to go reach out to. So I got my Bible, and I said, here you go. This is a Bible you can have. I wrote my favorite memory verse, and uh, it was just a special moment where I knew that God was uh, watching over us, and I knew that all those prayers had finally come to us. Uh, and it, it was amazing. It was just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Thank you. What's that? I'll take that from you. You guys did great. Thank you so much. It's, it's different standing up here, isn't it? Awesome. Thank them again one more time, church, as they right through. So we had over uh, 20 students go, uh, 20 students and leaders go on this mission trip. Um, and the leaders who went pulled it together and led. And, and church, I, I want you to know the gospel is going out because um, the Lord is seeing fit for it too. Um, that's going to happen whether we get engaged or not. He's going to make sure that his name is, name is proclaimed. What he's basically asking is, do we want to be a part of that? Does he, do we want to be a part of his working and his will? 
And it was so great to see the faces uh, of these students when they, when they came home or when they were ministering. And to, to realize, I think Christy told me the first day, there were like six kids and four of them were teenage girls or something like that. And, and, and I scratched my head. I said, was that okay? And she said, actually, it's amazing. And so our students have been sharing Jesus Christ um, with a group of students and children. I think the number was six, and the last day was about 23 children showed up. That they were able to share the good news with. That they were able to, to lay out the story of Jesus Christ too. And so thank you for praying. Our goal or our hope will be that we continue to share updates of what God is doing through prayer uh, and through missions here at First Baptist. Because we're all a part of it. And that really leads me into where we're going today. I know your bulletin says Ephesians chapter 4. Just scratch that out if you want to. We're going to be in Acts chapter 21 today. We'll finish back up in Ephesians 4. But we're going to start in Acts chapter 21. Because as I was praying throughout the week, praying for my children, both of my kids and my wife were on the trip. Um, that means I had hot dogs or ate with church members. That was my choices this week. Um, they're gone again next week. If you want to visit, we can do that. But they were all gone. So it had me praying differently. It had me reaching out and, and just on my knees differently, asking for the Lord to move. As, as my children, Ashley turns 18 this week. Connor is 14. I know that they're experiencing missions, not just to do something cute. I know that they're, they're having this mindset to go. And, and, you know, when we go on a mission trip... We have one of two choices for the way that we see life. We either go all in. Lord, whatever you want, however I want, I'm, I'm in. I'm there. If it means sacrificing what I've got. You know, I thought about my son giving away his Bible. And I thought, oh, my Bible costs more than his Bible does. Would I have given it away so freely? Am I all in? Am I all in to get muddy and dirty and hot? They were out in the middle of an apartment complex in the heat, no air conditioning. Then they took a break for sandwiches and they unloaded trucks of food for people. Just all in. You see, you can go on mission all in or you can go with this exercise in ritual action kind of attitude. Lord, I'm going to do something good for you today. This week, I'm doing something amazing for God. In fact, God, you're lucky I said yes. And so to make sure that you know that I'm on the same plane as you want me to be on, I'm going to do this for you. Literally, that's the only two ways to go on a mission trip. With this mindset of, Lord, everything I have, everything I am, I lay it down at your feet. Or, Lord, you're welcome. That's it. Now, now which one of those do you think God honors? The first. That's the heart that God calls us to. And, and the problem that we may have run into is that we are an exercising people. Repetitive motion fuels us, doesn't it? Knowing my routine is great. 
as long as I at least know the environment that I'm walking into, the people can change all the time. As long as I have some semblance of control, I'm in. And what can happen is, I had a seminary professor told me this. He said, if your school ever wants to get rid of a teacher, they have him teach the same class all day long, every day, semester after semester. That's the sign that your school doesn't want you anymore. If you're a seminary professor in here and doing that, I'm sorry to break it to you. Right? It's just that repetitive motion because we like it, but it doesn't fill us up. It doesn't give us anything. It doesn't do anything to us because it's completely man-made. There's a comfort to it that feels like the color gray. And, and do you know what, church? God has not called us to it, but the world calls us to it. I waited tables in college and I remember waiting at this restaurant and I was always asking off for, for, for church on Sundays and Easter was coming up and you never asked off for Easter because that's the day that all the people who went to church go out to eat. So all the waiters have to work, right? And, and so she said, you know, you need to work on Easter. And I said, no, I, I can't. I need to be at church on Easter. That's not how the rules work. And she, she said, David, let me tell you something. This will serve you well. Everything in moderation. I'm like, <laughs> I'm out. Everything in moderation. Boy, that's great parent advice, isn't it? So we use a little bit of video games, but not too much. You know, a little, a little, bit, of, a little bit of school, but we're going to take a break for the summer. You know, a little bit. You know what? That doesn't work. When I tell my children, hey, would you clean your room? They're like, everything in moderation. Did that three weeks ago. And we know that's horrible advice. But how often do we apply that to our life in Christ? Like, I'm going to be kind of in for you, Lord, until I deem that those around me are not pouring into me in a way that I receive what I know I need. In other words, I'm not really all in. I think I am, but I'm just exercising my ritual routine in action. And I'm hoping that it stimulates growth. You see, our, our, our problem that we fall into is that when we bring this idea of not all in, but this ritual action, and we merge it into our Christian walk, it dilutes it. It makes it powerless because it's no longer a Christian walk. I want you to listen to that again. When you and I bring our ritual exercises and we merge them into our Christian walk, to balance it out, there's no power because that is not the Christian walk. Jesus Christ has called you to abandon all, to lay it all at his feet. To the woman caught in adultery, he doesn't say to her, where are your accusers? And she says, nowhere. He doesn't say, go and only sin a little bit. He, he doesn't call out to the disciples, follow me three days a week and I will make you fishers of men. It's this call to be all in. And, and the reality is, the more that we think, what is the least I need to give up or what is the most I confuse with Christ to make Christianity palatable and, and pleasing to myself, the deeper the hole that we find ourselves in. And, and what that does is it compromises our community. 
It compromises our community with Christ, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. It compromises our community with one another. This is what, what happened in Acts chapter 21. In Acts chapter 21, I'll set the scene for you. Paul has been going out to the Gentiles. He has been taking the good news to those who weren't raised in the Jewish tradition. Who didn't have the right lineage. Who didn't have the right cultural background. And and he's he's bringing them around. and, And he's even asked, hey listen... What do we need to tell them they need to do in order to, to, to walk with Christ? What do they, what do they need to do? And, and the, the elders in Jerusalem at the time even said, you know what, here's the deal. Tell them not to eat food sacrificed to idols and, you know, just, just, just to stay away from sexual immorality. In other words, do these things. This is, this is the least because the sacrifice for idols was basically saying, if you're eating food sacrificed to idols, you're hindering your Christian Jewish brother because they're not going to sit down and, and enjoy that with you. That would, that would mess them up. Sexual, abstain from sexual immorality is a truth that Jesus taught that goes all the way back to the beginning of Scripture. So there's nothing new there. They should already know that, but that's going on like crazy in the Mormon Empire. And so Paul's come back. And he's made his way back to Jerusalem. And we find ourselves in verse 17 of chapter 21. Look at verse 17 and verse 18 with me. Because this is really important. The Bible says this. When we had come to Jerusalem. This is Luke writing. Paul, he is the other we. We come to Jerusalem. The brothers received us gladly. And on the following day. Uh, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. Let's keep going to, to 19 and 20. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through the ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, period. Let's just pause right there. Let's pretend that, that the Lord didn't put the verses in the Bible. And let's, let's state the reality that, that men put those in to help us reference. So let me set the scene Paul has given up everything. He has laid it all out. His reputation, his life, his his potential place in society. He has laid it all in for the Lord. And when he comes back to Jerusalem, his heart is to be at Jerusalem on the Pentecost. His heart is to be with his brothers. When he comes there, listen to how he's received. It says that they received him. They gathered together. They received him gladly. You know what, church? This is a beautiful picture. This is someone walking in and saying, Oh, we're so glad you made it back. It's welcoming. It's warm. It's inviting. It's part of what community feels like when someone that has been living for Christ comes in. They're never a burden. They're always greeted gladly. It doesn't matter the time of day, the time of month or year. It doesn't matter if they always tend to show up at dinner time. None of that's important. We receive them with joy because that's part of Christian community. I mean, process that. When you come to gather with other believers, isn't a sign of community a joyful reception of one another? Not based on, not based on how I feel, but based on who we are in Christ. It's a sign. And then the second sign happens. It says that they, they came together and they, they went in. In verse 19, after he greeted them, they related one by one the things that God has done 
throughout the ministry. And they heard it. And they glorified God. Isn't it true that when we come together as the church, a sign of community is testimony sharing? Isn't that a sign of community? That when we come together, don't get me wrong, I, I like talking about the, the, the Astros every now and then, and I, I enjoy talking about a news article I've read, but I would much prefer to hear the testimony of what God has been doing. I, I would prefer to, to, to listen to that every day over watching anything else happen, to celebrate, because when we give testimony to one another, the Lord gets glorified, doesn't he? And Paul's not saying, I want all these people. He's giving a testimony that says, look what God has done. Church, are you and I in biblical community where our testimonies are being shared back and forth? It's all in. It's all in. I share it with my friend. I had, I had three encounters this week of just being able to share my testimony. No kidding. This, is, this will be an exciting thing for you. The power went out last week. Tuesday we had an AC guy here. And he pushed a wrong button and he killed all the power to the church on Tuesday again. I thought, oh my goodness. So we told him how to turn it back on and it scared him to death because it's dangerous. And so when he was done, I called him back up and I said, hey. How are you doing? He said, I'm a little shaky. I said, now's a great time for me to ask, do you know Jesus Christ? <laughs> we had a wonderful conversation, and he's a believer. It was wonderful. What an awesome thing. A mistake he made literally put his life in danger. I mean, do you think that it would be better if I came to your pastor and said, man, he almost got fried. Glad he didn't. Better turn or burn. Get right or get left. No, that's ridiculous. You give a testimony. When you and I come together, a sign of biblical community is, is joyfully receiving one another and a sharing of the testimonies of what God has done. It's an edification of the body of Christ. This is important to us. It should be an uncompromising part of it. But, but in the midst of that, there's a temptation to compromise. Look in your Bible at verse 20 again. And we're going to go down just a little bit further to verse 21. The Bible says this. And they heard it and they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. This sounds really great so far. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to their customs. I want you to pause there for just a moment. See, this is the elders. These aren't, aren't the apostles. These are the elders. And James is one of those, the brother of Jesus. They, they come together and they say, listen, the, the gospel is running rampant in Jerusalem. Thousands of people are coming and receiving the gospel joyfully. And then they say, there's one problem. They are zealous for the law. And they're upset that you may be going around telling people their customs aren't to be followed. And we know that's not true. But I want you to know the environment you're walking into. You see, church, all of a sudden, 
we miss a basic teaching of Jesus. This is really important. Remember when Jesus tells the parable of the sower and the seed, and he, he scatters some on the road, and some on the rocky soil, and some among the thorns. You remember the story, and some on the good soil? There's only one of those that bears fruit. Do you remember which one bears fruit? It's the good soil. The rocks get picked up by the birds, the the shallow soil the shallow on the road gets picked up by the birds the rocks have shallow soil and the burn out by the heat the thorns choke out there's no fruit ever born you see compromise doesn't happen when we're focusing on the lord and his will compromise tends to happen when we're trying to keep the peace we're trying to allow ourselves to believe that I can hold on to my identity and have a new identity in Jesus Christ. Do you know that's an impossibility? Do you know that that doesn't work? You know that that, that doesn't change? When, when you and I take on Christ, is no longer I who live. It's Christ. This life I live, it's him. All, all of it, all in, my whole identity is gone up in our offices. If you go by my desk, do you know how many of my diplomas that you'll see? None, because they don't matter. They're my achievements. But it's his name. It's his identity. It's, it's his word. It's his glory. And, and the problem is, we find that the disciples have been sharing the gospel with these men. And they know, they know that they're zealous for the law. And that they're caught up on their customs. But they're allowing their immaturity to be fused in with a proper definition of biblical community in the church. Isn't it tempting to do that? Isn't it tempting to allow the sprouts, those who we don't have evidence that salvation has borne fruit and is real in their life, they just at least receive the gospel joyfully? Isn't it tempting to allow that person to be the one that defines the way that we define community? Maybe it makes us a little bit shy to talk about something around them. Maybe it makes us want to, to keep the peace because we don't want to rock the boat. As if salvation occurs because of the way that I tend it in someone. Don't get me wrong. You and I tending the seed of salvation in someone gives great glory to God. It bears much fruit in our life. And we get to rejoice in the Father if he bears it in theirs. But make no mistake... It is not you nor I that causes any tree to bear fruit. And if we start to compromise the fertile soil of the gospel, if we start to compromise this fertile environment that Christ has called us into, Ephesians chapter 4, living worthy according to the vocation through which you've been called into, if we start to compromise that, we do two things. We start making the gospel a powerless ritualistic routine to be stuffed inside other cultural and customary baskets with everything else. 
In fact, we think maybe our compromising of the truth of community so that they can focus or be brought along is good. We start to think it's good. And then we start proclaiming a powerless gospel. You see, it's tempting to let someone else who's zealous for something other than Jesus Christ and who yet is receptive to Jesus Christ to define how those of us or you or I walk with Christ. Who would you rather set the tone in your household? Your four-year-old or the 40-year-old parent? Who, who should define what a healthy home is? Who should define what, what a healthy education is? Someone who's not experienced any at all or, or someone who's learned and, and seen the fruit of what happens when, when Christ comes in and is the foundation of our learning? What do you want? Who do you want driving your car? The person who knows the rules, the laws of the land and has proven it? Or the kid who has 4,700 hours on Mario Kart? Who's really excited about driving? We know in all of those areas, it's, it's ridiculous. But in our community, we are so tempted to quiet the full joy of the gospel so that those who are zealous in the wrong direction may have time to adjust. Now, don't, don't hear this wrong. Nothing about the gospel has called us to be angry or upfront in a, in a, in a grotesque manner. Nothing about the gospel tells us to berate people or destroy things. But it tells us to stand firm. Because in Christ, on that rock, is where our power is. We are not doing any favors and we are not being done any favors. If we allow a zeal for anything other than the truth of the gospel proclaimed and lived by Jesus Christ to be our focus. And if and when that happens, we see a church and a community that has been compromised and was without power. And we must guard it. Here's what the disciples did when they, when they figured this out. Look in verse 22. What should we do? What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. In other words, they realize that a, a semi-focused received person who has been received in their Oh my gosh, in receiving Christ and in their sin, they've been received as a part, an equal part of this joyful Christian community. They'll know that you came. Verse 23. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourselves along with them. Pay their expenses. So that they may shave their heads. And they will all know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you. But that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the new child who is believed, we sent a letter out with our judgment. That they should abstain from what has been sacrificed from idols, from blood, from what has been strangled, from sexual immorality. 
Then Paul took them in the next day, and he purified himself along with them and went to the temple, giving notice that the days of purification would be fulfilled and offered, presented, offering presented for each one of them. This is, this is when Paul seems really normal. And if I'm wrong in heaven, the Lord can totally get me right on this one. This is the only time I think Paul was caught in a hard place between honoring his elders and honoring the Lord. Because these four men had been set aside for the Nazarite vow, which means they were growing their hair out. They were on a strict diet. They were living their life a certain way. No drink would touch their mouth. And so when they went for their last day, it was a 30-day process, they shaved their hair off. And they burnt it as an offering to God. And then they offered all these different expensive sacrifices. So the elders had this great idea of how to appease these semi-focused believers. We want you to go in and out of your pocket pay these expensive costs. And go in and purify yourself along with them to prove that you observe the law. That you agree With them, that you're sensitive, not just knowingly, but if you didn't have to go out to the Gentiles, you'd be acting just like they did. Does this, on the front, I mean, if you've read the New Testament, does this sound like an idea that Paul would normally go along with? It really doesn't. Thank you, Jesus, for moments like this. Because their idea was to say, Paul, We want you to pretend that you are bound to the law so that you might bridge the gap between freedom and prison. So would you just pretend that you're in agreement with them? Would you just let this slide? Would you just allow this to come in and just only partially acknowledge? We'll keep preaching the gospel to them and and maybe they'll come around sometime. Maybe one day this bridge will be gapped. But for now, would you just pretend... That you're in agreement with this sliding, massively growing, immature, semi-focused community. Have you ever been tempted to walk into that place with Paul? To go along with what everybody else is doing because, Lord willing, he'll bring it all together in the end. The plan is a compromise, but it's not a compromise of self. It's a compromise of God. Church, I want you to know, if you and I try to help God's promise come true, it will always work out poorly. You are not in charge of helping God's promise come to be. Moses, he tried to to free the Hebrews before God did. He saw an Egyptian fighting a Hebrew slave. And what happened? He set the Hebrew slave free. He beat and destroyed. He killed the Egyptian. He set him free. The next day, what do you think happened? Do you think community was formed? Not at all. The Pharaoh wanted to kill him. And the Hebrews wanted to deny him. When you and I compromise Christ. To expand a community. It doesn't work. There's no power in it. When we have a Jesus and faith, it's like walking in the temple with the Nazarites pretending that we're bound to something that we're not. Someone asked me the other day, 
how do, how do you be a Baptist? How, how do you be, what does that mean? He said, I don't know. You have to be a Christian. The word Baptist just talks about our doctrine. You see, we can't be bound to anything other than Christ. You can't be bound to the way that you're supposed to act. The way that you have been raised, the culture that you have received in your life that tells you this is how you act. If you're from this type of the, the world, you act like this. If you're from this socioeconomic group, you act like this. If you're new to church, you act like this. If you're old to church, you act like this. From the south, you act like this. If you're from the north, you act like this. And it's acceptable. And if you walk outside of that, it's not acceptable. Well, let me tell you, church. The community of Christ is made up of every tribe, nation, and tongue from every part of the world and every socioeconomic group. You and I are going to have to abandon our dead identity outside of Christ if we're going to be the community of Christ. And that will make the world upset. In fact, it may feel unnatural for you and me. But let me tell you what the alternative is. Verse 27. When seven days were almost completed, Jews from Asia came in seeing him in the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help this man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled the holy place, for they had previously seen Trophimus and Ephesian, the Ephesian with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and all the people ran together and they seized him and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. That was the last time in Paul's life where he would be free. That was it. See, when you and I water down who Christ has called us to be because of any influence, because of it, no matter how well intended, it leads us back to chains. That is not what God has called us to be. He's called us to freedom. To the full gospel. Not in adding anything to it. And not taking anything away from it. And this morning my question is. Are you compromising community? If you have, now is the time to repent. To, to say, God... Whatever the cost, I want to focus solely on you and trust him with the hearts of everyone around you. Maybe this morning you've never known community like that. All you've ever known was the ritual of church processes. I promise it leads you to change. Give it up. Lay it down. Scripture shows us that Jesus Christ has come not with a cheap grace but with the most valuable gift ever that says lay everything you have down and pick up a treasure in me richer than any you could ever obtain. That is the community that we are called to be and there can be no exceptions. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for the testimony of, of these kids being all in this week at mission. Lord, I pray that they would be all in as they come back home, as they go to school or away to school, God. I pray, Lord, that they would be uncompromising in their community with you 
and with your bride. Lord, I pray for wisdom, for them to know the difference between a a focus that is solely set on you and those that are focused on other gods and you too. Lord Jesus, this morning I pray that we would be a church that is uncompromising in our community like you are uncompromising in your love. Lord God, we don't want to be a church in chains. Lord, we don't want to lead someone in the wrong direction and we don't want to be pulled off the path. So will you encourage us? Will you embrace us? Will you fill us with your love and with your word, God, so that we will hold no custom in line with you? That there will be no law in this land that we hold in line with you. There will be no tradition in our hearts that guides us or that is added to your gospel, Lord, that you might be our all in all. Father, if there's anyone in this room this morning who does not know that freedom in Christ Jesus, Lord, would you let them know right now that freedom comes in admitting their chains to you and confessing you as their Savior and their Lord, their Master God, so that their lives might be covered in your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning, church? As we sing our song of invitation, I just would ask that you respond, however God has called you. Maybe that's in prayer, maybe that's in repentance. Whatever God needs, would you
Father God, this morning, would you let us remain at the altar? Why, when we have an audience with the king of all things, Lord, would we want to go anywhere else? Father, you, you said that Emmanuel, God with us, will be you dwelling among men. God in the flesh, the altar of the Almighty for every man, every woman, every child, all who would come. So Lord, let us lean into that. Let our community be defined strictly and solely by you without compromise, God. Lord, you are more attractive, you are more beautiful, you are more perfect. Lord, riches of life are found in you and you alone, God. So, Father God, would you scrub our lives of these rituals, of these focuses that draw us from you, from the past sins and the chains of sin and the scars of sin that call us back to them, Lord, to our ways of thinking, whether it be our our culture or our life situation. God, would you purge all of that from us so that we might be filled all in with you, so that wherever we go, wherever we speak, the altar of Jesus Christ might be lifted high that we might find ourselves gathered with brothers and sisters in Christ, celebrating our presence and giving glory to you because of our testimonies. Lord, in our time of our tithes and our offerings, Lord, what we give to you is already yours. Lord, let it be a celebration of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.